welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome. Uh, it is Eric Erickson here. A little bit congested as the weather changes outside. It's gotten glorious, honestly. Welcome. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I want you all to know this is really important. I did go play golf yesterday with two friends of mine. It's really an excuse to have bourbon and cigars in the middle of the day. But nonetheless, I hit par on the very first hole. I made par. It went downhill from there, lost about four balls, but I got par on the first hole. Now, we must move on to the news. There's actually, I want to get to Ron DeSantis. I do. There's actually big breaking news first. The President of the United States and the real unions have come to an agreement overnight to avoid a strike tomorrow. Um, There will be a little bit of economic setback along the way just because uh, rail companies had already stopped a lot of shipments of supplies on railroads anticipating that a strike would come. So, for example, uh, chlorine that goes to uh, water treatment facilities had been paused. Ammonia that goes to fertilizer manufacturers had been paused. Uh, Some other critical supplies have been paused. They did not want to leave ammonia or chlorine sitting on railroad tracks unattended, uh, given the hazardous nature of the chemicals. So they had stopped them already. Amtrak uh, had canceled uh, trains this morning for Amtrak schedules. All of that will come back online. They've decided even if they can't work out an agreement, there will be an additional cooling off period to let them go. Now, this is good news for the Biden administration. It's really good news for the economy. The American Association of Railroads said that uh, this would be a $2 billion hit on the economy. Now, interestingly enough, Last night, I actually wrote my piece that uh, this was doom coming for the Democrats in part because of this, and this has been forestalled. It teaches me never to actually write my piece and send it out when I go to bed, wait and get up in the morning and see the overnight headlines, which I usually do. Nonetheless, it doesn't change things. Uh, it, It doesn't change things significantly. I should say that. There's still a nurse's strike in Minnesota. UPS is still gearing up for strikes. We still have runaway inflation. We still have more uh, interest rate hikes coming of about three quarters of a percent. Uh, One of the the large CEOs in America is out there now, or one of the large billionaire investors out there right now, saying that uh, the Fed needs to not raise rates three quarters of a point. Uh, The economy is breaking hard. CEO confidence is miserable. This is billionaire investor Barney Snertlich. He was on CNBC. He says the Fed was late to the game and is now being too aggressive. The economy is breaking hard. If the Fed keeps this up, they're going to have a serious recession and people will lose their jobs. Frankly, the Federal Reserve at this point kind of has to break the economy to fix the economy. That's awful to say. Uh, No one should want this happening in large part because what you will do when inflation is so high is have people unemployed who can't afford their basic needs on their unemployment um, supplement. The problem, however, and the reality, is we are headed towards a dangerous economic time, whether there's a railroad strike or not. 
the railroad strike would make it far worse than it otherwise would be. But we're still seeing problems in the economy that the Biden administration is going to have to deal with. And I, I want to note some trend lines. Now, this is picking and choosing. Full disclosure, I'm trying to be intellectually honest here. There's a little bit of picking and choosing here. The Fox News poll is out. It has the Democrats uh, back in the lead on the uh, generic ballot. But I noticed the YouGov poll, the Economist YouGov poll. I've been paying attention to it in large part because the Economist YouGov poll is one of the few congressional ballot, generic ballot polls that has consistently had the Democrats in the lead. I mean, when you look at the the Economist YouGov poll, for example, uh, in July, they were up three. And then at the end of July, they were up six. And then in the beginning of August, they were up five. And then they were up six again. And then they held at six. And then they were at five, and then they skyrocketed to eight after uh, when you headed into August, September, they, they got up to eight points. And then they went down to six, and now they're down to four. So you can see the wave of enthusiasm. And, and again, what, what I've been saying for a while now is, is you can't actually get the individual poll. The individual polling number is, is not reliable. But the trend lines in the polls, even the pollsters who are skeptical of the polling says, follow the trend lines of polls. Now, here's why. This is really important for you to understand in the polling situation, something I haven't talked a lot about, unlike other aspects of polling. Most pollsters keep their data sample the same. That does not mean they call the same people, but it means they call the same kinds of people. So they call the same percentage of Democrats. They call the same percentage of Republicans. They call the same percentage of Hispanics. They call the same percentage of black people. They call the same percentage of Asian people. They call the same percentage of white people. They call the same percentage of women. They call the same percentage of men. They call the same percentage of old. They call the same percentage of young. And so what you're seeing here is though the final numbers aren't good, the statistical sampling of the group stays the same. So you see the ebbs and flows. What the Economist YouGov poll is interesting to me is because it has always maintained a Democratic lead on the generic ballot, even as others showed a significant shift to the GOP over the last year. But what is very interesting to me is it was one of the first polls out that caught the post-Dobbs anxiety and, and enthusiasm of the Democratic base that fired the Democrats up to a D plus eight on the generic ballot. It's now down from eight to six to four. The Fox News poll has not been uh, as, as reliable as the Economist Yuga poll in terms of constant polling, but they had the Democrats up three, then they had a tie, and now they have the Democrats back up three. The political morning consult poll had the Democrats up five at the end of August. They have the Democrats up five now. They've had the Democrats up five, frankly, for the last several months. So there hasn't really been a, a shift in trend there. It's a fascinating dynamic to see the polling that is regular polling, however unreliable the final numbers are, they're all showing at this point declining enthusiasm again for the Democrats as the enthusiasm 
uh, in the economy sours. The Federal Reserve next week will be raising interest rates. They're probably going to raise them three-quarters of a point. They might surprise us with a full um, percent. Most people don't think that's likely. I don't think it's likely, but they could do it. They could do it. And the economy still matters as the number one issue. Now, here's the other thing that's interesting. We've been talking a lot about, in Pennsylvania, the Fetterman situation. Fetterman's not a great candidate. He's largely been protected by the media. More on that later. But all of the polling in Pennsylvania now, he's gone from a high double-digit lead to a single-digit lead and continues to follow the polling in the run-up to the election. In Wisconsin, Ron Johnson in the um, in the Milwaukee poll has now said our Marquette University poll has now suddenly taken the lead for the first time. Wisconsin has some terrible polling there. If this is suggested to be good, this is good news for the Republicans. In Nevada, Adam Laxalt has taken the lead in the polling average. In Georgia, Herschel Walker has taken the lead in the polling average. In Arizona, Mark Kelly's lead continues to shrink. One of the most interesting things I find is the Quinnipiac polling in Georgia, which kind of captures the same trend that we're seeing with the nationwide Economist YouGov poll. So the Quinnipiac poll in Georgia, uh, several months ago, it came out in June. It had Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams tied, and it had Raphael Warnock with a 10-point lead over Herschel Walker. Democrats interviewed by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said that they were undercounting Republicans by about five points. Democrats, Democrats, not Republicans saying this. Republicans laughed off the poll, and even Democrats were like, no, it's not that good. Give five points to Herschel Walker. Give five points to Brian Kemp. So Brian Kemp should be about five points ahead of Abrams. There should be about a five-point gap uh, between Walker and Warnock. Here's where it gets interesting. The Quinnipiac poll has come back out. And again, they used the same sample. They didn't interview the same people, but they interviewed the same numbers and kinds of people. It now has Kemp up two. It now has Warnock up six. So Kemp has improved and Walker has improved. Warnock and Abrams have declined. Warnock has gone from plus 10 to plus six. He's gone down four points. If the Quinnipiac poll based on what the Democrats, again, not the Republicans, what the Democrats were saying, if they're undersampling Republicans by five, it means it's a tied race. If they're undersampling by five, it means that Brian Kemp is blowing out Stacey Abrams. In fact, if you add five points to the two points Quinnipiac shows Brian Kemp is winning, then suddenly you have where Brian Kemp is in all the other polling, about seven points ahead. A little birdie told me that's where Abrams has him in her internal polling, about seven points ahead of her. The polling trend lines have receded for the Democrats. Panic, it's only a matter of time before the panic starts setting in again. They've had a good ways. This last month and a half, the Dobbs decision buoyed them a little bit. They got some stuff done in the Senate. They got some stuff done. The economy isn't doing well. Interest rate hikes next week are not going to help. The recession is coming. Layoffs are already starting to happen. They've been spared a railroad strike for now. They've been spared a railroad strike. There will be some disruption just because of what the railroad industry did for a few days in anticipation of a strike. But they've been spared this big strike that would be economically ruinous for all of us. So it probably actually is a good thing for all of us. It did not happen. But they haven't been spared the underlying trends of the economy.
whether you're in Georgia or Florida, whether you're in Pennsylvania or New Mexico, you're feeling it. If you're in Arizona or Georgia, you're feeling inflation more than anywhere else. Same in Pennsylvania. Phoenix, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, three of the highest inflation rates in the country, exceeding the national rate of inflation. It's not good to be a Democrat on the ballot right now. And the media has propped them up in part because they needed to maintain some veneer of excitement and challenge and competition. And by the way, it is clear that the Dobbs decision did provoke more Democrats to turn out and vote. So where the Democrats were going to probably collapse in some blue parts of the country, they're probably not now. But in places like Georgia, in places like Pennsylvania, in places like Nevada, Nevada, by the way, has, has had a very hard time post-COVID bouncing back economically, and voters more and more blame the Democrats. The Republican gubernatorial nominee is ahead in Nevada right now as well, according to all the polling trends and the polling averages. In Arizona, Kerry Lake is ahead. Kerry Lake, yes, Kerry Lake is ahead of the Democrats in Arizona. You're not hearing about that sort of stuff in the media because the bright spots that choose to focus on are people like John Fetterman, who's been leading Dr. Oz in the polling, and he's been leading by a smaller and smaller margin. Doom is still coming for Democrats in November. The question is not whether they will lose, but by how much. Yesterday, Nancy Pelosi said the Democrats were going to gain seats in the House of Representatives. For perspective, Nancy Pelosi said this in 2010, and she also said this in 2020. In neither situation did they gain seats, but they lost seats. In 2020, of course, no one saw the Republican wave coming. Even the Republicans' own internal polling was screwed up in 2020 and didn't see how big a wave they had. They came within five seats of taking the House of Representatives. Nobody saw it coming. Then Pelosi is back again saying they're going to gain seats. They're going to gain seats. In a closed-door meeting of Democrats yesterday, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, said the Democrats are going to lose the House of Representatives. And he said, contrary to press reports showing them with an 80% chance of holding the Senate now, he puts it at a 55 to 60% chance. The Democrats are going to lose the Iowa race. He's encouraging donors to stop donating in Iowa. He's worried about Nevada. He's worried about Georgia. And he says Arizona is probably going to tighten. He's not sounding confident like Nancy Pelosi. He's sounding like a realist. And the reality is that even if Republicans lose Pennsylvania with Dr. Oz, if they get Georgia and Nevada, which seems likely right now, events can change things, but it seems likely, then the Republicans take the Senate by one, and if they hold Pennsylvania, they take it by two. The Democrats have had two months of the media cheering them on, changing the narrative, telling them that they were on the rebound. The generic polling has seemed to indicate it. The generic polling average for Democrats, an eighth of a point above the GOP. With a two to three point bias towards the Democrats already, still going to be a Republican year. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Additionally, you should sign up for my daily email by texting DATA to 33777. Uh, do that. Um, although, you know, I sent out that piece this morning. I actually wrote it last night before I went to bed, figured nothing would change on the railroad strike, and then it changed overnight. So I had to go in and, and do an editorial update. 
still doesn't change the underlying conclusions, but my goodness gracious. Um, there's another data point. I mentioned this briefly yesterday, but this one actually needs to be mentioned in a little more detail. One of the biggest problems facing Americans right now, and this really isn't a political thing, but I think it will play out in the election, is that incomes are stagnant for two years along with inflation. That's a problem. Now, why? Let's play this out. During COVID in 2020, incomes went down across the board. A lot of employers wanted to keep people in the payroll, but they cut pay, and so incomes went down. Well, in 2021, incomes didn't go back up. And incomes that were not cut in 2020 and 2021 have also stayed flat across the board, stagnant wage growth. At the same time, expenses have gone up. Energy costs have gone up. Fuel costs have gone up. Food costs have gone up. You've got uh, record high inflation. And your pay is not going up. Which means because your pay is not going up, you're actually seeing real world declines economically. Your dollar in your bank account buys you less now than it did last year. That has a real world impact on your quality of life. Your quality of life has gone down. Very few Americans can legitimately say that they are better off now than they were just two years ago, let alone four years ago. That one really uh, matters greatly for people and uh, the income quality of life stuff requires people to cut back. So as you start cutting back on essentials, one of the things that goes is a lot of vacation goes away. A lot of leisure travel goes away. A lot of leisure spending goes away. Uh, You move more towards generic brands at grocery stores to save some money. You move towards stores like um, Aldi to save money. You you use more coupons to shop. This then hurts workers in the gig economy. You're not ordering from DoorDash as much. You're cooking your meals at home. You're not ordering Instant Cart because it's cheaper to go to the grocery store and pick out the groceries yourself. So that then hurts those folks. And then layoffs come. Your income's been stagnant for two years. Prices have gone up over 8%. And now you're getting paid a supplemental um, unemployment insurance benefit that doesn't even match your income and prices have gone up and you have a very hard time making ends meet. In Europe, a significant portion of the lower middle class has now been pushed into poverty just on energy prices alone. We're seeing that happen here with food prices in addition to fuel prices. This has an economically cascading effect, and note to the Democrats who are worried constantly about authoritarians and fascism. High inflation typically is when you get the authoritarians, and that's what we have right now. Be very careful in your handling of the economy. Greetings. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across America. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you would like to be on the program, now let's get to Martha's Vineyard. I want to say out of the gate, I'm not a fan of the politics of trolling. And both sides these days tend to do it. Um, While I'm not a fan of it, I also understand it. And in this case, with the border, 
and the insecurity of the border, I do think to a large degree, people like Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis who are busing illegal aliens or flying them to blue states are in a large part justified because the official position of the Biden administration is that the border is closed. Consequently, they're not stepping up uh, budgetary help to places like Florida, Texas, Arizona, and the like that are being overwhelmed by illegal aliens. The highest numbers in U.S. history are happening right now. The Border Patrol is logging 8,000 migrants entering the U.S. every day. Joseph Simonson at uh, the Washington Free Beacon has this story. Immigration officials are reporting the highest ever daily number of migrants entering the United States along the southwestern border. Border Patrol officers are logging roughly 8,000 migrant encounters a day, the highest daily number in U.S. history, the communications show. Such a massive surge in migrants has left agencies such as Custom and Border Protection scrambling to implement new processing systems. The record number of migrant encounters highlights the little progress the Biden administration has done in solving it. Uh, Townhall.com put together this. Kamala Harris with Chuck Todd on Sunday and an illegal immigrant outside her house on Monday. Greg Abbott, after Kamala Harris said the border was open and secure, put migrants on a bus to Washington, D.C. and dropped them off outside her house. Now, there are a couple of things you need to know here. Contrary to what the Democrats are claiming, none of these people are forced to go. They want to go. In fact, they're given cities they wish to go to. Many of the cities that are most outraged by this, I find it deeply ironic, went out of their way during the Trump years to declare themselves sanctuary cities. And now they wish to give no sanctuary to the illegal aliens. Listen to this montage uh, put together. I shouldn't say montage, just the, the cuts between Kamala Harris with Chuck Todd on a Sunday and an illegal alien outside Kamala Harris's house yesterday. We're gonna have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border's secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. And Vice President Harris uh, said that the border is closed. Is the border closed? Do you believe that the border is closed or is it open? It's open, not closed. The border is open. The border is open. Do you believe that all the migrants believe that the border is open? Yeah, everybody believes that the border is open. It's open because we enter. We come in. We enter. We come in. It's open. That's an actual illegal alien who crossed into the United States who says the border is open. There's something else you need to know that's being left out of the media narrative when they're upset. Ron DeSantis has sent illegal aliens up to Martha's Vineyard. You know, up in Martha's Vineyard, they're all tearing up their signs in the front yard. You know, all the good progressives in Lily White, Martha's Vineyard, they've had the signs in this house. We believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No humans illegal. Science is real. Love is love. Kindness is everything. They're replacing them with no trespassing signs. Here's a story you're not going to hear anywhere but here probably. This is from April 15th, earlier this year. The White House has quietly resumed its after-dark charter flights of underage migrants 
to a suburban airport north of New York City after a New York Post expose led to their suspension last year. The Post watched as a group of migrant teens got off an Avalo Airlines plane that arrived at the Westchester County Airport near White Plains at 9.25 p.m. Thursday. The group then boarded three waiting buses and drove off about 50 minutes later. One bus traveled to the Walt Whitman Service Area in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, just across the Delaware River from Philadelphia. After the bus pulled up at about 12.45 a.m. Friday, several teens disembarked, retrieved their bags from the luggage compartment, and left with adults who were waiting for them. The bus left the rest stop around 1.05 a.m. and continued south on the New Jersey Turnpike. The plane that landed in Westchester flew out of El Paso International Airport in Texas and made a stopover in Jacksonville, Florida. In October, the Post documented a series of similar flights to reveal how the government was flying migrant teens to suburban New York amid the ongoing humanitarian crisis at the border. Now, wait a second. This is what the government was doing. It's what the government was doing. The government of the United States was already flying migrant teens to New York City. And the Democrats were perfectly fine with Joe Biden doing it. They just don't like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott doing it. Now, these teens were being placed with adults. But they were still going. The left is showing their hypocrisy on this. The the open and tolerant left in their sanctuary cities don't want to give sanctuary to Hispanic illegal immigrants. They want Texas and Arizona to have to deal with it. This is actually uh, one one of the, the tough problems here is these Texas and Arizona, New Mexico, even California to a degree, they don't have the money at a state level to continue to subsidize this. And the federal government essentially lets these people out, gives them a bus ticket and tells them to go wherever they want to go. So they're already going to places around the country. Uh, How do you think that an illegal alien winds up in your city far away from the border? They get on a bus and they go there. DeSantis and Abbott aren't rounding them up and forcing them to go. Had a Ken Burns, I love his Civil War documentary series, but he's one of those people who got broken under Trump. He was on CNN this morning comparing this to the Holocaust. They're not sending these people to concentration camps. Remember when Trump was president, you people accused him of operating concentration camps. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez so forcefully convinced crazies on the left that Donald Trump was running concentration camps. A man of the left attacked an ICE facility facility and died in the process. Got himself killed trying to firebomb an ICE facility because he really believed we were running concentration camps. And now you're upset they're not running the concentration camps. They're sending them to your city. You can't win with these people. There's a solution to this, though. There actually is a solution. It's a solution that polling suggests has bipartisan approval. You may want to sit down for this. It, it doesn't seem obvious to a lot of people. Apparently, people in Washington haven't thought about it. There's an easy solution to this. Close the border. Close the border. I mean, it'll come as a surprise to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Neither of them have been to the border. 
Neither of them have witnessed what's going on there. Neither of them have bothered to show up in Texas and see the humanitarian crisis for themselves. They don't want to go. They want to live in deniable, plausible deniability. Biden's been putting people back in cages too. The very thing the left was outraged with under Donald Trump, he's resumed, and he's gotten rid of Title 42 now, or the, the, this uh, Title 42 prohibitions on them coming into the country, making them stay in Mexico, and as a result, even more are coming. We're at record-breaking numbers of illegal aliens crossing the border. By the way, this phenomenon is one of the reasons South Texas Hispanics are becoming Republicans. You can't say it's a bunch of racists down in South Texas doing this either. Uvalde, Texas, where the school shooting was, Uvalde, Texas, is one of the epicenters of housing illegal immigrants in this country. The city is 81% Hispanic. But the Democrats want to scream racism. Again, I'm not a fan of trolling in politics. Have some substantive policies, please. But the media has ignored the situation. The Biden administration has ignored the situation. Democratic mayors and Democratic states have said there is no problem. They've been in denial about it. And now Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott are making them realize the problem. They're busing people to their states, to cities in their states. They're showing them what Texas has had to put up with. And their response is to attack the Texas and Florida governors as racist as opposed to say, no, we didn't realize there really is a problem. We should do something about this. They don't want to fix the problem. Whether you agree with the theories that they want these people to come in to be new Democratic voters or you agree with the theory that they simply do not care. The reality is that there's a problem at the border. And the reality is if Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott had not engaged in these tactics, no one would be talking about the problem at the border except for Fox News and you and me. The reality is what they are doing forces the conversation. And the reality is that in forcing their conversation, they're showing the massive extent of the hypocrisy of the left that declares themselves to run sanctuary cities. And when those needing sanctuary come, they close the doors and say, we don't want the brown people here. The good white people of Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts are up in arms. The vacation haven of the rich white elite of America is terribly upset at the idea of all of these people showing up in their neighborhoods, overwhelming their resources. What do you think they're doing in Texas? And you don't care. You don't care. If you care about them overwhelming the resources in Martha's Vineyard, if you care about them overwhelming the resources of New York City, if you care about them overwhelming the resources, well, then you should care about them overwhelming the resources of Arizona and of Texas and of New Mexico and of even Southern California because it's happening there too. The greatest extent of it because of geography is coming through Texas. Texas gets more of these border crossings than the other parts of the southern border because of the way the other parts of the southern border are operated and the geography and where the Mexican cities are that they go to. But it's not just illegal aliens. It's fentanyl. Fentanyl is coming too. In many cases, the fentanyl is coming with those who are coming across the border who are being trafficked to themselves. 
progressives on social media overnight accused Ron DeSantis of engaging in human trafficking by sending illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard. The reality is human trafficking is happening, but it's happening at the American border. And the people who are accusing Ron DeSantis of it are turning a blind eye to it at the border because they don't care that it exists because it's not in their backyard. They're the NIMBYs of American politics of immigration. They don't want it in their backyard. They're perfectly fine to have it happen, just not in their backyard. And DeSantis and Abbott, through the politics of trolling, are exposing them. And so while I disagree with the overall drive in this country on both sides to just troll the opposition to make a point, it's about the only way this is going to get attention and probably the only way it's going to get solved and probably the only way to bring these blue state governors and mayors to the table to realize we have a real problem in this country when 8,000 illegal immigrants are crossing our border every single day and something has to be done to stop it. So good for DeSantis and good for Abbott for making this a national story. If you want to stop stuff like this, you need to help get conservatives back in office. And one way you can do that is becoming a, um, a member of Patriot Mobile. You take your cell phone service to them. You can get free activation with my name. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. And you can get free activation, and they take a portion of the profits you help them generate, and they give it to the Second Amendment cause, the pro-life cause, the conservative movement. They've been battling it out at local school board elections around the country. They've won 11 of 11 races, putting conservatives up against woke school board members and beating the woke school board members. You can be a part of it by taking your cell phone service to Patriot Mobile. You get guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers everybody else uses, so you're going to get great service. And you can also call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT is their phone number. You're talking to somebody in the USA when you call that number, tell them I sent you. Get free activation, 972-PATRIOT or patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Listener Chris makes a very good point. He's listening online up in Virginia. He says 8,000 per day. 50 people on a bus would be 160 buses per day. Texas is still housing the large majority of the flood coming across the border. He's right. And you know, what I find interesting is the number of progressives who want to say, well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Progressives who want to ask what Jesus would do regarding immigration I don't know that they're actually arguing in good faith as many of them aren't people of faith. But Jesus Christ said to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to respect the law. And his apostles said to respect the law as well. Uh, Our own leaders don't respect the law of our nation's sovereignty and secure our border. I do think, and this is one issue I've evolved on as I've tried to take my faith more seriously, if an illegal immigrant comes into this country, we should deal with them compassionately. Many of them have walked across Central America to get here. They have spent months journeying here, many of them fleeing political violence. We should treat them compassionately. The Bible says very explicitly we will be judged on our how we treat the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the refugees. That does not mean, however, that we have to allow them to stay in our country. doesn't mean that at all. Christianity does not support illegal immigration because Christianity does not support illegal behavior. It means we must treat them compassionately 
And frankly, they're being given bus tickets in Texas to the city they wish to go to. How much more compassionate can you get? Where do you want to go in the great United States of America? We'll give you a bus ticket and let you go. That's what's actually happening in Texas. Ron DeSantis sent them to one of the highest income places in the country, Martha's Vineyard. Let the people there take care of them. How is this an affront to Christianity? What is an affront to Christianity are the people who don't believe in Christianity, who worship at the altar of Moloch, killing kids in this country, refusing to enforce the laws of this country, and burdening the citizens of this country with having to take care of the refugees coming into this country and the illegal aliens coming into this country while denying the situation exists. When you have the vice president of the United States of America on television telling people the border is secure, that's called bearing false witness. Perhaps they need to leave Jesus out of this. Jesus is neither Republican nor Democrat. Jesus is neither conservative nor progressive nor moderate nor independent. He is the king and creator of all, and all of us one day will bend our knee at him when he comes back. And I think that conservatives have to remember we are to treat people, including illegal aliens coming into this country, compassionately. And I think progressives need to remember he's actually real. Don't drop him flippantly into your political conversations to challenge conservatives because generally we actually have a pretty good idea on what our faith represents and stands for as opposed to many of you who use it as a political weapon against those you disagree with without actually understanding it has deep meaning outside of politics. Jesus Christ said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. His apostles, who he said we must follow and listen to, said to obey the law. The law of nations says we have a secure and integral border, one that the Democrats themselves refuse to acknowledge exists or enforce or keep closed while lying to the public saying it's secure. You want to throw Jesus in my face? Let's just throw your words back in your face as you bear false witness. The reality is the Texans, they're not hurting these people.